0: Twenty-two for our study this morning, Joshua chapter twenty-two. Can I share a quick story? I heard a cell phone ringing, and do you know that one time my cell phone in my pocket rang while I was teaching? It was back in the old sanctuary down in children's ministry, which used to be our old sanctuary. And we had an early morning service at 7.45 in the morning. That's almost an ungodly hour. but. And I had, you know, driven to church, and Amber was coming to the later service, and I would taken the car seats and left them in my car. So she was calling me saying, hey, I need the car seats, you know. And, and uh, so here was my phone ringing in my pocket right while I was, I was teaching. So you're not the only one that has forgotten to silence your phone, you know. I just wanted to encourage you, don't feel bad. It happens. Happens to the best of us, right? And then there's just the infamous pastor line. Is God calling? Right? I think every time I've been in a sanctuary, and cell phone rings. The pastor's like, well, God must be calling. Phones ringing. right, let's pray. On task. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your love, Lord, your grace and your mercy. Thank you that we can just enjoy being together and enjoy being in your presence and Lord, help us to learn about relationships as we open up your word. God, I think we all agree that we need help in relationships. We need help in learning how to relate to one another in a way that honors and glorifies you. Would you soften hearts? Would you heal marriages, heal friendships? Just encourage and bless, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Avoiding misunderstanding. A small misunderstanding can lead into a breach in relationship. Here's a couple of quotes on misunderstanding. It's dreadful what little things lead people to misunderstand each other. Such little things lead us to misunderstand each other. This is Kipling. He writes this. We're all islands shouting lies to each other across seas of misunderstanding. Seas of misunderstanding. I remember a misunderstanding that happened between Amber and I when we were dating. We were pretty early in our relationship. We'd only been dating like four to six weeks or whatever. And she was renting a house with some girlfriends and she was cooking me a, a meal. And I had just recently gotten my own apartment and was really fascinated by all the kitchen stuff that you need. And so I was admiring her pans, her cookingware. And so I told her, I said, I really like your pans. And she just freezed up and she looks over at me and you could tell she's all offended and what's going on here and and so my body language can get strong sometimes I'm sure you've seen that and so I you know look back I said I like your pants and she's even more offended and she's looking at me and the whole time all she's hearing me say is I like your pants p-a-n-t-s instead of I like your pants and so she's like who's this sicko you know that I've that have led into to my house. And so now it's become a pretty good joke in our family and in, in, our, in our marriage. I'm sure you've had a misunderstanding where you've thought one thing, you've saw one thing, you've said one thing, but it turned out to not be right. There's a severe misunderstanding with the children of Israel to the point where they're just about ready to go to civil war. They're just about ready to fight with each other. If you've been studying with us throughout Joshua, you're like, wait a second, he skipped a lot of chapters, didn't he? Last time I remember last Sunday, we were in chapter 14 out at the park, and now we're in chapter 22. And some of you are rejoicing because you read ahead and you're like, I don't know if I can sit through a sermon of how the land was divided. So let's briefly cover that section of scripture as God did lay out the land to the tribes and says, this tribe, this is your land. And there is a lesson there for us that God individually gives us inheritance, but we have to go in and possess it ourselves. He also gave a specific place for the Levites, a city of refuge. Now, Joshua in this chapter is dealing with the two and a half tribes. The two and a half tribes that didn't want to dwell in the promised land. And that's where the misunderstanding arises. After they fought in the battle and they're at a time of rest. Like Dr. Foley mentioned, we do have a real enemy. Satan wants to come against us. Do you know the number one way that he's going to come against us? As he wants to divide the people of God. So he'll divide us in our homes, inside of our marriages, our relationship with our kids. He'll divide us as brothers and sisters in Christ. He'll do whatever is possible, and Israel is facing their greatest threat, and it's the division amongst themselves. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write some things down on the back of your bulletin to take them to heart because there's great lessons for us in this area of relationship. So verse 1 of chapter 22 Then Joshua called the Reubenites the Gadites and half of the tribe of Manasseh. These are those two and a half tribes that told God, we don't want to dwell in the promised land. Even before Moses had passed away and they'd entered into the land, they said, we want to stay on this side of the Jordan, which is currently the country of Jordan. So now Joshua is going to send them back to their land with these instructions. But the lesson here is, is God doesn't force us to enter into his promises. God doesn't plead with these two and a half tribes. He doesn't say, I know what's best for you. He simply says, oh, you don't want it? You don't want the promised land? You think you know better than me? Then go ahead. You can dwell on this other side of the Jordan. And history shows us that these two and a half tribes were the first ones to be defeated. They were the first ones to be wiped out. But they have Joshua's blessing. They had Moses' blessing as well. But this was the commitment that was given to them in verse 2. And said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. The only requirement that Moses and Joshua gave them is that they were to fight with the rest of Israel in the promised land, which they were faithful to do for many days. In verse 4, And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Here's the warning that's given to them as they go. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord, your God, to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Joshua knows the tendency of the human heart. Is that when we're at a time of rest, when the battles are done, we can drift away from the Lord? So he says to these two and a half tribes, You make sure that you stay close and you love the Lord your God relationship. You have a relationship with the living God and obey him, keep his word. Out of love, obedience is shown. Hold fast to the Lord like a lifeline like an anchor in the storm. Don't let go of the Lord. Serve him with all of your heart and soul. Put yourself into service of God, the king of kings. He's the king of kings and we can passionately serve him. Verse six, so Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. In verse seven, reading down to verse nine, now half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan But to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their own brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. So the tribe of Manasseh split. Half of them were in the promised land. Half of them were on the other side of the Jordan. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, "'Return with much riches to your tent and with much livestock, with silver and gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing.' Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land to their possessions, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now here's where our story gets interesting in verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. So that's all they did. They built an altar. It was a great and impressive altar. Now notice what happens after this. In verse 11, now the children of Israel heard someone say, someone saw them build the altar and they let the other nine and a half tribes go, hey, you know what they did? They're building an altar. And the assumption that takes place right away is these two and a half tribes are going into idolatry. How much division and heartache has happened amongst the people of God because someone started to whisper, 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 whisper. Did you see what Jan's doing over there? Did you see what Bob's doing over there? And they don't even have all the facts straight. Here's some group of people that are building an altar to actually worship God, but before we know it, they're being portrayed as idolaters. So this is what they say. Behold, the children of Reuben, the children, tri- children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Did you catch that? They got the whole stinking group together. All nine and a half tribes, they're ready to go to war against their own brothers and sisters in the Lord. So here's our first lesson. If you're taking notes, write it down, pray it through, think about it, is be slow to go to war. Amen? (laughs) Amen? Be slow to go to war. And you're saying, well, wait a second. I'm not going to kill anybody. I would never go out and do this. But we kill people with our words, don't we? We keep, kill people in our minds. We cut them into pieces and destroy them because of what we've perceived, an offense, a, a misunderstanding. I don't know how many times in my life, maybe you can relate, that as soon as the words come off of my lips, I'm like, oh, you know? You wish you could take them back as they're... But the damage has already been done. It's like toothpaste inside the tube. If you want to experiment with this, just go home, take a full thing of toothpaste, and squirt it out all over the kitchen sink, right? You ladies are like, why in the heck did I come to church today? I got enough toothpaste on the kitchen sink. I don't need this. But then... Try to take the toothpaste and put it back in the tube. It doesn't work out very well, does it? You might be like, all right, toothpaste getting expensive. We got to get it back in the tube. It never goes back in the tube very well. And once you go to war, things can be reconciled, as we'll see in our text. But the damage has already been done, and it's very difficult. So be slow to go to war. The scripture tells us be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to, to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think our tendency is just like these other nine and a half tribes. We're too quick to go to war. We're too quick to run down our brother and sister in Christ. In verse 13, Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. With him ten rulers... And one ruler, each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. This is very wise. They stopped the warriors, everybody at Shiloh that's ready to go to war. They say, we need a fact-finding mission. Before we enter into this battle, we need to send the priests. We need to send the key leaders from each tribe to go find out what's going on. In verse 15, Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh. Have you noticed? We're going to read that a lot this morning. We're going to know the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. To the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you've committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord? And that you've built for yourself an altar that you may rebel this day against the Lord. See if you can pick up their mistake as we read these verses. What mistake did they they make in coming to these two and a half tribes? Is this the iniquity of Peor, not enough for us? From which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord. This is Numbers 25. Where the children of Israel entered into idolatry, with the Moabites, and also sexual relationships, and and harlotry, and God sent a plague, and they said, this idolatry is still plaguing us. Was that not enough? In verse 18, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourself an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? The wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Do you remember Achan? Achan is bacon because he was faking and all that stuff that we went through, right? So these guys roll up this fact-finding mission, and instead of asking questions, what do they do? They go, you guys are a bunch of idolaters. You've rebelled against God. You're going the way of Numbers 25. You're just like Achan. And so this leads us to our next lesson, and it's this, is we need to assume the best, God would want us to assume the best of brothers and sisters in Christ, but instead, they assumed the worst. They've already come to the verdict. They're the judge, no trial, you're idolaters. And how quick we can do the same thing and that we can assume the worst of others. Wisdom would have been to ask questions first. To roll up on the scene and go, hey guys, could you tell me about this altar? what's your heart? Why are you doing it? That would have gone over a lot better than pulling up and thinking, I've got this whole situation figured out and you guys are in rebellion. So be slow to go to war, but also assume the best and ask questions before we go into that accusation mode. Also, this would have been a great time to remember the track record. These guys have just fought all these battles that we've read about. And we know that it took years, that it wasn't just a few days, that they had literally fought in battle together. Now they're about ready to start a civil war. When we get offended or there's a misunderstanding, our flesh very quickly doesn't think about that wonderful track record that we have together. And all we think about is the offense We laser in upon the offense. So take the time to ask some questions. Take the time to remember the track record. 1 Corinthians 13, which will sound familiar, I think, to, to most, gives us the importance of love in assuming the best. Let me read it to you. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and knowledge, And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't parade itself. Is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You could summarize verse 6 and 7 is love assumes the best. Love doesn't think evil. Love bears all things and believes all things. When there's a misunderstanding, and let's take a moment to look deep for just a second. If there's a misunderstanding or you've been offended, even inside of your own family unit and your closest friends, what do you do? Do you automatically assume the worst? Do you automatically go down that laundry list of saying, well, this is what's wrong in their life. This is what they're missing in their relationship with the Lord. And I'm going to set them right. These nine and a half tribes went with a zealous attitude of we're going to set them right with the Lord, but they misunderstood the whole situation. So may God work in us through his love. I think this is the only way to accomplish it, by understanding his love for us so that our lens towards others, other believers especially, is that we could assume the best of them instead of assuming the worst. In verse 21, guess what? Here they are again. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the division of Israel, You jerks, you called me an idolater. (laughs) That's not what they said. Notice what they said. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we've built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer on it burnt offering or grain offering, or to offer peace offering on it, let the Lord himself require an account. This is a mature response. And it's another point to jot down is resist the temptation to be defensive. Instead of getting defensive and going, hey, 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 did I hear you right? Did you just call me Achan? It's on. Did you just call me the sin and the iniquity of Peor? no no that's not what happened at all let me show you what happened and and here we go and even when we're not falsely accused even when we've actually done something wrong what's our first reaction if someone brings something to us we get defensive we get angry and we put the walls up and we start to use scriptures like why don't you get the log out of your own eye you know (laughs) don't judge me you jerk you know and all this kind of stuff who are you to talk to me about what's going wrong in, in my life Really, it's an abuse of those, those scriptures. And the Proverbs tells us that a friend, a faithful friend will bring wounds into our life because they'll speak, speak the truth to us. So whether there's a misunderstanding or we are in the wrong, we want to be at a place like these guys where we don't get defensive. And they say, you know what? If we've done this and we're in idolatry and this altar is for anything other than to worship the one true living God, then God, you deal with me. And that's hard to have that kind of perspective of ourselves. But it's like, okay, Lord, if it's true of what they're saying and what they're bringing to me, then God, you search me. You know me. And you change my wicked heart. And thank you for this opportunity for this to be brought. So it's very important the best we can and and to grow in this to resist the temptation to get defensive. In verse 24, but in fact, we've done it for fear, for a reason saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord had made the Jordan uh, Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Their motivation in building the altar was so that in generations to come, that both sides... The nine and a half tribes on one side of the Jordan and the two and a half tribes on the other would understand they serve the same God, the one true living God. But Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, here it comes, another point, write it down, is they communicate their heart. They took the time to communicate your heart. And when there comes to misunderstandings and there comes to disagreements, we tend to be one or two types of people. One is fight to win. So there's an argument, there's a disagreement, there's a misunderstanding that happens in our family or any kind of friendships, and we don't have any trouble at all talking, right? But the only problem is there's really no communication because we're going to win the argument. No one ever comes out on top. And that's not what God has in mind at all. And let me suggest this to you if you tend to be that kind of personality, You're not a lot of fun to live with. Because anytime anything's brought up, there's no willingness to see any other perspective. You're going to win. And you're going to fight to win. And you're going to do whatever it takes to run over that person until you win. But there's also another response that makes it really difficult in relationships. And that's, I'm not dealing with this. And it's the flight response. It's not the fight to win response. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to invest any you know, heart into this. I'm just going to simply walk away from it. And it even happens in a marriage. In a Christian marriage. And people say, well, I'm not going to get divorced because we're believers. But you've detached from your marriage. You've stopped investing in your marriage and even dealing with some of those hard things and sharing where the misunderstanding and the offense took place. And also something that's really unfair and misunderstanding and disagreements is just to assume that the other person in the friendship or in the marriage is going to somehow magically know what we think and feel. This kind of logic that's like, you know, if they really loved me, they'd know that they hurt me right now. And they, I wouldn't have to say anything and go to them and say, you're being a real jerk because they would just know. So I'm going to give it in my body language. And they should know what they did wrong, right? And some guys are like, I'm a man. I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. And I don't feel like talking about how I feel because I don't have feelings. I have, I don't know what it is, but I'm not saying anything, you know? So we kind of put this macho thing on. So we're not going to tell friends or our wife what we feel or what's in our heart or that we've been offended, and see, this is the biblical truth. This is what God wants us to do in Ephesians four fifteen, is not fight to win, not flee from it, but speaking the truth in love. that You may grow up in all things into him, which is the head. Speak the truth in love. You've got to say it. You absolutely have to say it. You've got to say it straight, but you've got to say it lovingly. Very important to say it lovingly. Even though the communication's not perfect in this text, could you imagine what would happen if they didn't talk at all? Maybe the most dangerous thing that can happen is the absolute silence. It's saying, i are not going to breach this subject. We're not going to go there. Because once we begin to communicate, then hearts begin to be seen and God brings about reconciliation. And remember, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. So he's right there going, you know what? Your spouse has really been a jerk all along. You know, they don't love you. They don't care about you. You know, that brother, sister in Christ, they're so selfish. They don't even really care about you. They're going to betray you at the first possible thing. And you know, Pastor Eric, he's always looking right at you during the message. You know? <laughs> and he's targeting you out, and you should really go find another church. And all this kind of craziness that happens in our heart and our mind. Actually, I am looking right at you. (laughs) The enemy's there to do that, and a lot of times what happens is when we begin to communicate, God begins to work. Pray first. Don't just rush foolishly into these kind of conversations. Pick the right time. If you've got kids in the home and they're talking and fighting and all those kind of things. It's not the time to say, Hey, babe, there's some stuff on my heart. You know, uh, some things I want to talk about. No, pick the right time. Pick those times of, of peace. And, but we got to share our heart. We got to have the strength in the Lord to communicate. In verse 26. Therefore, we said, Let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice but that may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offering, with our sacrifice, with our peace offering, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here's the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, Though not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but as a witness between you and us, far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grained offerings, or for sacrifice beside the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. They're saying, we understand, we get it, that burnt offerings, peace offerings, all of those offerings that God has given in the Old Testament, that's to happen at the tabernacle. We're not trying to replace that. But we are desiring to have an altar over here that will remind both generations, both sides, that we serve the one true living God. Their idea is let's worship together. Let's gather around this altar and let's worship together. So the fact finding team's got to go back to the rest of the nine and a half tribes, verse thirty. Now when Phineas the priests and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the division of Israel, were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phineas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phineas the son of Eleazar, the priests and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. And here's their conclusion in verse 33. So the thing pleased the children of Israel and the, cho- and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. Here's the next lesson, it's really important, is bury the offense. Bury the offense. These guys decided that they're not going to bring it up again. They're not going to do the whole thing like, I don't really know if they're committed to the one true living God. I don't really know if they're not going to slip into idolatry. Let's keep our eyes on them and see how they're going to use the altar in six months. They bury the offense. And that's what God wants us to do in friendships and relationships. When things are talked through and there's forgiveness, we can't keep that offense in our back pocket. And then when that person messes up again, we bring it out and say, oh, I told you so. You were never going to change to begin with, right? And this is hard, isn't it? Our flesh wants to do all of these things. And it's time to speak no more of that. You're saying, how do I do that? It's really difficult. We have to look at the cross of Jesus His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Scripture tells us that all of our sin, past, present, and future, is buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. That means the sin that I'm hung up on that I can't forgive is buried with Jesus. And I'm going and trying to dig it up. No, it's buried with Christ. And this person is now a new creation of Christ Jesus and I need to see them through the lens of Jesus Christ. Sometimes this is just downright discipline. This is just downright controlling our mouths and saying, I'm going to choose to not speak of this again. I'm going to choose to not bring this up. I'm not going to hold it over their head. God's forgiven me and given me so many fresh starts. I'm going to give this to someone else. Bury the offense. Chapter ends in verse 34. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Last point is this, is they worship together. Church, Rocky Mountain, Calvary gang. What's at stake in this chapter? It's worship of the one true living God together. They could have gone from worship and being bros and sisters in Christ to a place where they're at civil war and there's fighting that's happening amongst them, but they prevented that and they were able to worship together. And this altar is a witness that they're linked together by their love for the Lord. This is very helpful in relationships. Spouses, if you're having difficulties with each other and you're both believers, start praying together. I gotta tell you, it'll be probably the most awkward thing that you ever do. Or if you're currently praying with your spouse, don't give up on it. Because what happens is, as you end the day, start the day praying with your spouse and you've been a really big jerk, it's hard to go into God's presence without admitting, God, would you forgive me? I've been a real jerk today. And something just happens as we come together in God's presence and we pray together and we worship together. It's been said and it's true. Families that pray together, they stay together. Friendships pray together, share Christ in common together. I had a close friend in school ministry where we didn't start off as close friends. We were like oil and water. He was sandpaper to my soul. And I'm sure that I was the same thing to him, right? And we decided, we knew we were having conflict with each other. Hey, one night a week, let's pray together. And God began to change our hearts towards each other. And even though our personalities were completely different, he formed a friendship. God can do it if we choose to worship together. Spouses, families, friends come into God's presence together. Ephesians 4 verse 1 through 3 says this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love. That sounds so cute, doesn't it? Bearing with one another in love like a Hallmark card. That's hard work is what that is, right? That means that I stink sometimes, you stink sometimes, we all stink together sometimes, right? Right? But God loves us, and we're going to love each other. We're going to bear with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Sometimes we have to work really hard to keep the unity of the Spirit, to go through a process like they did in Joshua 22. Here's the unity. There's one body, there's one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. When the body of Christ is divided, who bleeds? It's Jesus. We have to remember that. Is this disagreement? Is this misunderstanding? Is this hurt feeling worth dividing the body of Christ for? I'm not saying that we don't deal with sin. We're to deal with sin and love and humility. Matthew 18 instructs us how to be able to do that. We're to challenge each other in that way. I'm speaking today of all of those silly, foolish misunderstandings that come in relationships that so easily divide. Could you imagine if they didn't work this out, and the nine and a half tribes went and killed the other two and a half tribes? You're like, "What in the world just happened?" Oh, they were arguing over an altar. <laughs> but do you know how many churches have been divided over service times? It's like 15 minutes. People leave churches over, oh man, services at 1045 now instead of 11. Churches have divided over the color of the carpet. (laughs) You know, friendships have ended over some of the silliest things. And it's God's word that gives us perspective when we realize, you know, I can let that go. I don't need that to be a wedge because we've got one savior, one baptism, one faith, one spirit, one father. Let's spend just a moment and think about what are some ways that we need to apply this message. Be slow to go to war. Maybe you know your heart, you know your personality, and you go to war way too fast. And then there's collateral damage, and it's difficult from that point. Allow the Lord to bring application. Maybe it's assuming the best. Maybe we go through life and we just assume the worst of people. We've come to expect the worst. God would want us to change our perspective and through love begin to give people the benefit of the doubt and to assume the best. How about resisting the temptation to be defensive? That's a good one, isn't it? Guess what? I think we're gonna have a lot of opportunities to apply that. And our flesh wants to say, how dare you? You don't step on my toes. You don't disrespect me in, in that way. And then share your heart. Can I ask you a question? Do you need to have a conversation? You need to pick up the phone, pray through. What are some questions I need to ask? As I was preparing this on Friday, I needed to. I couldn't continue to prepare this message without picking up a phone to call a friend. And there were some things that we need to talk about. And it was a great conversation. God blessed it. And my soul was lifted. And I came through the conviction of Studying god's word and I knew it. I just knew in my heart. I got to do this I didn't want to do it, but I was so glad that I did God's speaking to you right now. You know the conversation needs to happen And if you're a fight to win person don't yell don't scream If you're a flight person Allow the lord to give you the strength and the boldness to do it, but seek the lord first Write a few things down. I've got to put things down on a a post-it note I don't want to just enter into those conversations and kind of go, I'll just blab it and grab it and see how I do. I want to think it through and pray it through. But I need to share my heart. You need to share your heart. It's worth it. Bury the offense. Maybe it's just time to let it go. Christ died for it. It was buried with him. It's time to walk in newness of life and then worship together. What a gift that we have. We have such an exclusive isolated culture and society, don't we? That we don't realize what a gift it is to be together corporately linked as the body of Christ. And we're going to end our service and we're going to stand together and we're going to sing together. See, there's something when we sing alone and sing private to God that's wonderful, but there's something special about being with the congregation of the Lord and lifting our voice together going, right now, however many of us that are in this room and are in the upper room in the cafe, maybe watching online, all of us right now, we're, we're lifting our voice to God. We're singing together to God because we're one. And we're committed to each other and we're committed to the Lord. So let's do this, just that. Would you stand with me? We'll pray.